This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Pentagon wasn't kidding when it took the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Program under review. Yesterday, officials proposed some hefty changes. They say the revisions will simplify the process, especially for small business. For more, Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. And Justin, these changes came after a really month-long review, which industry, I guess in the government, too eagerly anticipated. What did they ultimately decide to do? Right. They launched this review back in February, and I think we were waiting for this for quite a long time. And what they ultimately did and is of significance is that they reduced the amount of companies that will need CMMC third-party assessments by a drastic amount. You know, for level one companies, these are companies that are only handling federal contract information rather than more sensitive information. They will no longer require a third-party assessment under these CMMC changes. They're calling it CMMC 2.0 over at the Pentagon now. In other words, so, of some 300,000 companies, I think was the estimate, were part of that originally. And this right. could cut it down to we don't know how many. Right. Well, there, there are estimates that the defense industrial base is at about 300,000 companies and probably 90%, the estimates vary, but about 90% are in that level one bucket that would only require the most basic level of uh, security controls. And instead of requiring a third party assessment, from those companies, the Pentagon is going to just require them to self-attest to their security controls and submit that to DOD on an annual basis. And it's a pretty big change. I talked to Robert Metzger. He leads the Washington office at the law firm Rogers Joseph O'Donnell. He's kind of a cipher on these CMMC issues. And and here's what he had to say. But if you you think about it, and resources are scarce, and uh, we need to be respectful of the, the means of the companies who are being assessed, well, maybe it's a, a smarter decision to take a different path for the hundreds of thousands of companies who have only that federal contract information but not CUI. And that's where CMMC 2.0 is, seems to be going. And that's attorney Bob Metzger, who is also a regular here on the Federal Drive. And Justin, you're also reporting the Pentagon is introducing some flexibility into the program that remains. Right. This will will make uh, industry pretty happy as well, is is that, you know, they're going to introduce a waiver process for some of these requirements. Now, it will be under only limited circumstances that the, the Pentagon will actually approve these waivers for certain cybersecurity requirements. That's according to, uh, to DOD. But it allows for some flexibility for contractors who maybe could meet 109 of the 110 cybersecurity controls at the time of contract, but couldn't quite get there at the time. In the same vein, they're also going to approve plans of action and milestone, which are essentially plans to make up the ground that you haven't covered in, in the cybersecurity control area for contractors. So essentially, the Pentagon is going to allow contractors to get maybe halfway or 75% of the way there on some of these controls and still award them the contract, so long as they have a plan to get all the way there with their cybersecurity requirements. Uh, I talked to Bob Metzger about that as well, and he said that these flexibilities were really necessary to help get the program off the ground. These are needed because a program that uh, was uh, too demanding that could exclude needed companies from the supply chain that might not be able to accommodate uh, some difficult or particular circumstances, there was a risk that more damage could be done to DOD than, than benefit. So I like the flexibility. And didn't they also eliminate a couple of the levels so the whole thing is flattened? 
level one, level exactly. five is not there yet, and there is no level three and four, correct? There were previously five levels, right, and, and they've collapsed them down to three, and, and they're essentially foundational is that level one level that I mentioned earlier that would apply to most companies. Level two is uh, quote-unquote advanced, and, and that will apply to previous estimates. I put it at about 10,000 companies that handle sensitive controlled unclassified information. And then level three, and DOD had previously described this as only a select few programs that would require these expert uh, level of cybersecurity controls. And, and these are programs that are really sensitive and, and really require some some advanced controls against adversaries like advanced persistent threats. So there's a consolidation of the program there as well. All right. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. And then this CMMC accreditation body, that had a big role here. And now with all these assessors not being needed to go to these hundreds of thousands of companies, what's the role of that accreditation body now? Exactly. Uh, they're, 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 they will still be needed. And, and DOD says that they will still have the accreditation body accredit the third-party assessment organizations that do the assessing of about those 10,000 companies in level two that I mentioned earlier. The Pentagon actually says that the government is going to handle the select level three requirements. So the accreditation body is still around for for those level two assessments. And, and, and that's pretty significant because there are still thousands of companies in that ecosystem that that will require those third-party scores. But as uh, Bob Metzger noted, it it appears that DOD is taking more control over the program and the accreditation body is taking more of a backseat. So there will be many companies that require a third-party assessment. I believe there will continue to be a role for the accreditation body to train and accredit the assessors. I do think that DOD will take a little more responsibility than in the past in making decisions about assessment results where there are questions. And that makes sense because ultimately the assessment regime was was not for the purpose of the accreditation body. It is for the purpose of the department. All right. And so what happens next? Because there were rules out for CMMC. Now DOD has proposed brand new rulemaking. I mean, what happens next? Because the Federal Register notice has disappeared since they first posted it earlier yesterday. Right. That was very mysterious. Well, well, that's still a little bit unclear. DOD has this shiny new website up that's summarizing a lot of the changes that we've just discussed. But the formal rulemaking process of this is, is still a little murky. So as you mentioned, there there was a CMMC rule that was out there. It appears that with these big changes, DOD is now going to have to put out some new rules. And as you know, that can take many months. They're going to do a formal rulemaking process, a formal public comment process, they've confirmed. And until the new program changes are codified in federal rules, DOD is suspending the pilot contracts they had planned for this year. They had about 15 CMMC pilots they had planned, and, and those are no longer going to happen. And they're not going to include CMMC in any solicitations until the program is codified in federal rules. DOD had previously wanted to get CMMC in every single DOD contract by the end of 2025. That timeline is now in question with, with these changes and, and with the months-long rulemaking process that I just mentioned. And then there are some folks expressing the possibility that given the requirement for self-attestation of CMMC Level 1, this we got from attorney Eric Crucius of Holland and Knight here in Washington, that could be dangerous for contractors if they are found to not be quite up to snuff. It could be a False Claims Act situation. 
which we've seen right. in other domains. So has that come up too in your research? Yeah, actually, Bob Metzger mentioned the same thing is, is that, you know, the self-attestation sounds could sound like an easy out for contractors. It sounds In the past, DOD hasn't really checked the homework, so to speak, of these contractors. And, and we've seen multiple reports that, you know, contractors self-attested and they didn't really have the requirements in place. But now you have DOJ leading this new initiative to really crack down on contractors and their cybersecurity requirements through the False Claims Act. So Bob Metzger said that could be a backstop here for this new uh, initiative. Yeah, if it doesn't cost you data, it'll cost you money. Right. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Tom. And be sure to check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but 
uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and 
reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.